Welcome to Well Connected, a podcast for faculty, staff, residents, and fellows of UT Health Houston, brought to you by the UT Health Employee Assistance and Wellbeing Programs Office. I'm Julie Van Orden. And I'm Anna Alvarado. The goal of Well Connected is to create opportunities for employees to connect the dots between three things what's going on in our heads, how these thoughts and feelings affect our well being and where we can find resources through the university to work toward a resolution. Anna and I have been wanting to host a conversation on social connectedness since we first started talking about creating a podcast. It was the very first episode we wanted to do, but we just needed to find the right expert, and we have found him. Today, we will take a journey from loneliness and isolation to social connection and end with hopefulness. Wayne Tormala holds a master's in social work and has been working in the human services field for over 50 years, providing leadership in the public and private sectors at the local, state, national, and global levels. Wayne recently retired after serving at the Arizona Department of Health Services as chief of the Bureau of Chronic Disease and Health Promotions. He has directed successful programs across a wide range of issues in the fields of world hunger, mental health, HIV AIDS, environmental activism, poverty, economic development, and public health. His current priorities are centered on addressing the impact of social isolation, loneliness, and compassion fatigue on the mental well-being of both the consumers and providers of health care. Welcome to Well Connected, Wayne. Thank you, Julie, and thank you, Anna. I'm happy to be here. Hi. So as Julie mentioned, we have been wanting to host a discussion on social connectedness. It stemmed from our own experiences of isolation during the pandemic. How pervasive do you think feelings of isolation were during this time? Well, I think it was. it would be uh, hard to say. We weren't isolated uh, in many ways. I think uh, not only in terms of the workforce demands and, and that we we uh, telework and, and, and you know leave the office, uh, but also just in terms of uh, even navigating the waters with our friends, families, coworkers around the difference of opinions around COVID and what the correct response should be. So uh, I think a nation that was already uh, suffering from division. Uh, in along political circles, uh, only got deep, you know, or deepened because of COVID. It just uh, sort of tore the Band-Aid off any kind of uh, attempt to keep the wounds together. Yeah, you're you're bringing me back to, you know, the the midst of the pandemic. Um, but I'm wondering why why is it now that we are here at this point? Why are so many of us still experiencing loneliness? Well, I think you know one one uh, reason would be that it's 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 really uh, challenged our resilience. Mm. I mean, it's one thing to think that something has happened and we need to buck up and and you know be strong and get through it, uh, but then when it's prolonged and it's been over two years now, and and now we're we're talking about post-pandemic or shadow pandemic issues, people who missed their medical appointments uh, during COVID and now are surfacing with late-stage detections that could have been addressed much easier. Two years ago, we're looking at uh, prolonged absences from family members uh, and, and not just uh, living off the energy of other people live in, in the flesh. One of the things that I was wondering about is if we are surrounded by people, is it still possible to experience loneliness? 
Yes, I think so. In fact, in, in uh, Arizona, we, we launched a public information campaign where we depicted that it's not just people who are isolated and alone uh, who experience loneliness, but you can be among your your friends, you can be um, uh, with your family, people, your coworkers, and the fact that uh, if you feel that people don't know the real you, uh, that uh, you can feel somewhat isolated uh, from from even your social circles, and so we, our social circles, we I think we we have a tendency to navigate uh, comfortable pathways uh, at a certain level, uh, but all of us have things that almost nobody else knows about, uh, and I think during a pandemic, when we were physically isolated, I think it just deepened those wounds of like, uh, not only you know nobody knows the the real me, and now. Nobody even sees the real me anymore, and so I think, you know, we could we could build up, we could put on the armor, the emotional armor, to deal with the short-term isolation, uh, but the armor began rusting, uh, as we were sort of crying on the inside of our armor suit, uh, and it began to crack. And I think that's what we're seeing now. So the shadow pandemic for me is, is looking at those issues that are that have surfaced, that are symptomatic of of something more than just dealing with COVID. It's fascinating that you mentioned knowing the real me because um, that actually brought up a thought, a kind of a little revelation for maybe some of the beginnings of my feelings of loneliness because I'm a really social person. And in our community, life didn't seem to stop. We still had, we were meeting and and, and cul-de-sacs and sitting on chairs six feet apart and, and still doing the things that we needed to do um, just with each other. But I think what I started to do was change because of, I think we all did, but I can only talk about my experience. As a result of, because everything happened at once, we had the pandemic, but we also had a lot of social unrest and we had a lot of humanity issues. And I think I started to change and I stopped feeling like my friendship base really knew who I was because, you know, we're still having these same conversations and I'm thinking, there's a lot more going on than these conversations that were happening, uh, happening. And actually, I actually feel differently about things than I did before. So I really appreciate that revelation because uh, it allows me a place to take some ownership of what I was going through and why I was so unsettled because I wasn't sure. I was like, why am I so unsettled? And, you know, uh, it's not that I don't like my friends. It's that I, I'm feeling like what I want to say, I haven't formulated those thoughts and to words, and I'm not sure they were ready to have those conversations. I wanted to have more meaningful conversations is what I think it was. Did you have any of that going on for you, Anna? Um, well, I was very much isolated, so <laughs> I was not having those conversations. Uh, my experiences surrounded um, having a baby and then a toddler and then being pregnant during the pandemic. And that's where my feelings of isolation stemmed from being a second time mom and not having that support, having these two little ones with me, that is where my isolation comes from. And then just talking about this right now, it's all coming back. And I've, the thing that resonated with me, what you had said, Wayne, is the rusting, we're rusting. And I just feel like how how do I get how do I get that off? How do I get the rust off? Because you know I'm kind of tired of feeling this way. 
Yeah, there's a there was a book uh, called The Night in Rusted Armor, mm-hmm. where I took that from, and a friend of mine, actually, uh, a Yaki uh, he, uh, healer, gave me this years ago. And basically, the story goes that the, the knight had the armor on and was, you know, ferocious in battle, but nobody knew that he was, you know, crying on the inside and very fearful until his armor began to rust, and you could kind of see through it. So it's almost like, you know, the clown who's not laughing on the inside, I guess, but a similar thing. And then there's a... Uh, I'll link that to there's a there was a poem by Leonard Cohen where he talks about you know where uh, the cracks are where the, the good thing about having cracks in this case in our armor is that's how the light gets in. Oh, and I so, like that. And so it's it's uh, it's uh, I think that there, there are slender threads that sometime in our social relationships that just kind of keep us together and those we're missing. So we might be in our cul-de-sac or we might be on a Zoom meeting or something, but I think a lot of the unplanned, casual kinds of conversations we have that connect us to people in in other ways that we probably weren't thinking about that much pre-COVID, that those are kind of slender threads, too, that kind of keep us networked in with each other. So if I were working with you, Anna, you know, if if I saw in, in the office, we would have these sort of spontaneous discussions about something of interest, maybe not at all work-related, maybe something about your, your children or something about my hobby or something, you know, but those are like, to me, those are like really slender uh, th- threads that kind of keep us together at a different level. And those are no longer there. So uh, or for many of us, at least, you know, during COVID, we weren't having those. Uh, we get on a Zoom meeting and there's no pre-meeting warm-up. There's no getting there five minutes early to see and, and, and you know, I, joking around with folks. It's all of a sudden we're just there and we're, we're addressing some agenda uh, that we're that we're there to talk about, and while that might feel productive in terms of our work we're doing together, what's missing a lot of times is, is there's more more subtle connections that help us, you know, feel. When I was, uh, you know, supervising others before I, I retired from my full time work, uh, I always wanted people to feel good about coming into work, and it's hard to do that when you don't talk to them except for at a meeting mm-hmm. or something, you know. So. I think a lot of it, uh, for me, at least has to do with that. Uh, you know, we put on the armor. We thought, well, we can do this. I can tackle this. I'm a strong person. Uh, but over time, our armor begins to, to wear away from us. And now we're introduced to a new us that COVID introduced to us. Yeah. That actually um, makes me think about for individuals who were good managers at wanting people to feel, like you said, good about coming into work. But maybe I'm not a creative manager, and I could do it when they were coming in, but now that I have to figure out how to do it here, now I'm not, maybe I don't have the same skill level at managing because I have to be creative and not just run into someone or have a meeting that has something more to it. I have to actually create some opportunity to show that I value you and that we need to all get together or something like that. I mean, I don't even know if that's true for folks, but I can imagine that it could be. Yeah, I think in, in ways maybe our communications become more became more fragmented that, yeah. you know, we didn't have those in-between things uh, to do. I mean, even this, there's silly things. Like, and I can, I can recall in my office that I, there was a woman I worked with, and we used to joke with each other because people would keep snacks in the office, <laughs> and she preferred almond joys. I wanted Snickers, and we would joke about that. Somebody would bring the Snickers in, and I'd go, "Hey, you know, all right, I got, I got my way." I mean, just as silly as that is, 
Yes. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's, a, there's an old Zen saying that uh, if it's not fun, it gets undone. Oh. And I think in the workplace, if we can, you know, create a little fun and a little, there's more to us than just our, our degrees and our backgrounds and our job descriptions. Even though we might perform at a, at a high caliber, excellent level, uh, there's more to us than that. And uh, I think that's what's been missing. I want to interject here something because yeah. one of the things that, that Anna had brought up as we were preparing for this podcast today is that we also want to have hopefulness, not just talk about isolation and social connected, which connectedness, which we need to explore more. But you just showed us a glimmer of hopefulness when you talk about, and I just really want to highlight that to our listeners, that when you feel like you're rusting in your armor and you have cracks in your armor, that's valuable because the cracks, what you said, let the light in. Right. Right. So there's the the hopefulness. We have to look for where. What's the upside of this? What could come out of this that could be positive? So it's partly reframing. Um, there was another thing that you mentioned about you know when they're walking. You know the story of you know crying on the inside in this armor and walking around. I remembered Anna. Do you remember when when uh, Monica Guidry and Julianne, Dr. Jim, Julianne Senak had that conversation. It's actually something that is we're highlighting again for Mental Health Month. And Julianne and Monica started talking about the walking wounded. And I'm thinking that was the image that came up for me when you were talking about walking around. And this, this soldier is walking around in his armor wounded on the inside, and we have no idea. And I think that there are a lot of people out there walking wounded, so... Mm-hmm. Listen up if you're one of those folks or if you know somebody, because this whole thing today is is about finding a way through that and finding hopefulness. Yes, and, and I would say that, uh, you know, the, the loneliness that comes, uh, the stress, uh, maybe feeling less hopeful, feeling fatigued. We, you know, we talk about compassion fatigue and uh, that those are all, to me, the hope also comes in from the fact that those are all normal reactions to what we've been going through. So we've been going through this uh, this shared stress of li- you know, living in the world today, and then we're aware about the, uh, each other's stress, and then we have our own stressors, uh, you know, and many of us. So uh, we're walking wounded, uh, even more wounded. Maybe we've lost family members. Maybe we've, uh, you know, we're just very much aware of the, the direct impact uh, this has had on us, and we're aware of it, how it has impacted others. And there's just the fact that if you wake up in today's world, there's no escaping all the stuff that's going on. Thank you for validating that for me, for us, and for our listeners that, you know, this isn't, this is a normal way of reacting to it because I think a lot of us just want to power through and say, I, I should be okay. I should be able to power through whatever it is because I, everyone else is experiencing the same thing. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, put in, you know, we, um, a, a lot of us, the reaction is to put on the armor. Mm-hmm. We're strong, we're self-confident, and uh, we're, up, we're up for this. But uh, to, be, to be aware of, yeah, the quality of my life isn't what I want it to be. Uh, and then start looking at, you know, uh, doing some self-auditing of, of, you know, whether it's uh, asking myself, what is, what's it really like to be me, or there's, there's other uh, you know, methods I could talk about in terms of just checking in with myself. 
uh, in ways that might help me move into it, translate that into some form of action for myself. Uh, whether it's as simple as calling up old friends I haven't heard from in years, uh, or, or you know, whatever else I, I can do, taking my own walks in, in nature, or whatever it, it works for someone. And I don't, I'm, I'm never one for saying there's a one size fits all. But we you know if we can find that what works for us, we, identifying where the cracks are, identifying that, uh, yeah, I'm I'm coping okay. But if you ask me, do I want this for the rest of my life? Uh, I don't think so. You know, when we, do, when we talk about chronic pain, I've done a lot of work in chronic pain management. And, uh, you know, one, one way of asking is, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, what, how, how's your pain? Uh, uh, 7, 6, whatever it becomes for somebody. Uh, but the question becomes, uh, how would you rate if you had to, rest, you know, spend the rest of your life at this level of pain? All of a sudden, it's something I don't want to cope with. I want to improve it. But if you just tell me in the moment, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. How you doing? I'm doing okay. You know, I can put up with this. But what if the next 40 years are at this level? How do you feel about that? Well, I don't want that. Well, let's talk about that then because there's a lot of things you can do, and I really applaud you for recognizing that. Yeah, and we don't have to. I think it's important for folks to know we don't ha we're not going to stay there. We don't have to stay there. And, right. and it's not necessarily an easy journey out of it. How do people become isolated? Does it happen all at once, or uh, is it a slow burn? What is it? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, for a lot of people, uh, well, first of all, there's a difference in being alone and being lonely. You know, being alone sometimes as, a, as a, an intentional act can be good. I mean, it's to seek solitude, to go on a personal retreat, or, uh, you know, spend a a weekend without talking to people, or we just need that sort of recess, you know, in our spirit. And um, But as, as far as getting lonely, I mean, the best definition I've found about being lonely is uh, it's the, the level of social connectedness you want versus the level of social connectedness you have. Mm. So if I'm introvert and... Uh, I don't really enjoy being around people all that much. I, I can probably withstand some isolation for longer than a person who might be extroverted and really thrives off the energy of other people. Uh, so it, although introverts eventually get to a place where you know, they can feel very isolated and lonely as well. But I think it happens over time. I think, but if there's, a, if there's a nagging loneliness that we go into, say something like the pandemic, we all already have a nagging loneliness and that just gets uh you know you're adding salt to the wound there i think that now it, it's really profound for you and people that cherish being alone uh eventually find maybe that over time uh it's not as good as they thought it would be because now they've got to reckon with uh, i really need other people more in my life than i thought i did i can attest to that i am an introvert mm -hmm. and the pandemic the deep in the pandemic that affected me <laughs> i sorry I, julie and i were talking about this and she is an extrovert and i'm an introvert and she said you were you're probably fine in the beginning no i mean i was okay for a day or two <laughs> but you're right I, over time 
I was feeling the same way you were, Julie, but you probably felt it way earlier than I did. <laughs> the the yeah. feelings of isolation without those human social connections. Yeah, it was like uh, addiction and I'm starting to get the, the, the shakes because I got to talk to somebody and I got to hear what somebody has to say. Well, I'm, I th- I'm right in between the two of you because usually I, I, I test out really borderline introvert, extrovert. Do you? Yeah, so I, I've, uh, and it's changed over the years, you know, so if I take the Myers-Briggs or some uh, some st- study like that, I can, uh, how I look at it, um, because I, I, I tend to energize off other people, but at the same time, sometimes, you know, my my wife says, hey, let's have, let's just have some people over this weekend, I might be a, really, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I was looking forward to a quiet weekend, so I can kind of go both ways. And early in my career, it, it kind of bothered me because I had to do a lot of public speaking. And so I always thought, well, that's not me. You know, I'm not an extrovert. And I had a therapist friend who who sort of uh, shed some light on that. She said, see, introvert and extrovert, like clo- like uh, coats in your closet. You can, you can put on the extrovert coat knowing you can put it back in the closet. Mm. So just because, you know, you can do a lot of speaking doesn't mean you have to become an extrovert. You can just learn to take on the jacket and put it back off when, you know, it no longer serves you. So, I mean, that helped me a lot over the years. So I kind of see that and on the personality types. It's like, you know, just different clothes in my closet that I can put on with a certain mood or take off. I would like to go on record as saying as an extrovert when I have to have to or I feel really like it's important for me to back off a little bit and... It's a really tight coat. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. doesn't fit very well, but yeah. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and as we know, like extrovert doesn't always mean people are acting extra in extroverted ways, but it does mean probably that they energize being around other people. Yeah. Right. So you don't have to be the one in the room carrying the conversation. Right. But it, you do like being with people and feeling the energy. And I know in the workplace that was me. I would energize, you know, going to the office on a Monday morning, kind of low energy, and by 10 o'clock, I'm, you know, I'm just happy and, you know, going going 100 miles an hour. That's great. That's yeah. so great. So I kind of want to shift the conversation here. Um, I want to ask about social media. Can we talk a little bit about social media and the role it can play in loneliness? Why does it seem to make us more lonely when we have all these followers or quote-unquote friends on our social media platforms. So why does it still feel lonely to have yeah, a lot mean, of friends? Yeah. yeah, you're surrounded by these followers, right? Right. <laughs> We're connected. Is it a real connection? Oh, that's a good question. It's a good question. And uh, I, think it, I, I think it varies. I think it with, with the person who's on social media. Uh, so I'll just give you an example. My wife is on social media quite a bit with Facebook and uh she just very good use of it. I mean, she has really good friends. I mean, they, she learns a lot of stuff, you know, about gardening or whatever, or, you know, opinions about things. But she seems to really manage it well. And so, whereas me, I have a Facebook account, but I get on there about once every two months, and I, I last for about 20 minutes, and I'm gone. <laughs> and so... Uh, he has a LinkedIn account too. He hasn't accepted my request. I know because I didn't even know she. Re- I didn't even know she requested. <laughs> That's how infrequently he gets on his social media. But, <laughs> but I'm going to email you and yeah, email. you. Yeah. So I think, but I, I know you know what you're saying. Though, you know the social media. Yeah, it, it's sort of a, an, uh, you know, illusion in a way. I guess to have you might have say 500 
friends or a thousand friends, mm -hmm. uh, yet they may not even know who you are. Right. Out, outside of what they see you post, or, you know, or something like that. So I, I think it's it's a it's a way of networking, and I and I and I think it would be wrong to say it you know doesn't work for everybody. I think a lot of people maybe that's their their main vehicle mm -hmm. to be connected to others, uh, but it. It does lack uh, the intimacy, I think. It lacks the, the uh, and when people have been surveyed about what, what means so much in their life, uh, uh, the polls weigh heavily on you know, intimacy, uh, friendships, true friendships, uh, and, and less and less on, on the material things. And so I think unless your social media is providing you with some intimacy, what you might consider interactions with people who really know who you are and you know who they are, uh, then I can, it can be kind of a, a false front. I mean, it, you know, there's exchanges of information that are helpful, like gardening clubs and, you know, <laughs> different things like that. Uh, but as far as, uh, you know, it, may, may, it, might be, it might be a little bit of a, of a buffer for your loneliness. So you're just not sitting in quiet rooms all the time you know, being lonely, you're actually engaging others at some level, but uh, it certainly doesn't reach the level of intimacy and the fact that we're in our DNA, we're kind of wired to be connected to people. And historically, you know, we're uh, safety in numbers. I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah. hundreds of thousands of years ago, uh, it, it was important for people to be together for their own safety. So if I'm connecting the dots here, um, intimacy is what we need to have those real connections. Is that where, where you're getting at here? Yes, and then by intimacy, I, I, I mean just, you know, people who sort of know who you are and have a good feel for who you are and, and can engage with you on, on, that, on that level. Meaningful ways. Yeah, yeah. It, beyond, beyond that maybe you, you, ha you know, you're of a, a political, one side of the political uh, divide, or another, they might know that about you, but do they know what's behind that? Yeah. Do they know the context of your life? I guess it, it, it is, you know, uh, what the story of Anna, mm -hmm. you know, to some degree. Not that you have to, everybody needs to know a lot about you, but they, they know more about you than they just see on, on social media. Right. Can people be isolated and still feel joy? I think so. I think there are moments of, uh, the possibility of uh, moments of joy are always there, I would say. Uh, you can be isolated and joy of, uh, let's say, through your prayers or, or meditation or just your quiet time, you, you can truly embrace the joy of living, the joy of being alive. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, you know, a Vietnamese monk, said that the miracle is not that uh, Jesus walked on water, but that we walk on the earth. Uh, and, and, and how can we embrace... Uh, I think so. I think you can be isolated and still uh, embrace the fact that you're a breathing, living human being that have certain interests and passions, and uh, and that that might not be 24/7 uh, joy, but you can reach those moments. Uh, I think if you're intentional about it, uh, which is not a lot different than anybody. I think because our our life is uh, contains both joyful and and not so joyful moments. And can we find that balance? So that's another moment of hopefulness, I think, for folks to take away from this is that there can be joy if you're intentionally seeking it in those spaces where you're feeling lonely or isolated. 
Yes. Can you can you get a sense of gratitude? Yes. Just for the fact that uh, it's I'm a human being. You know, what what kind of miracle is that? Mm-hmm. You know. That's beautiful. Um, I was just thinking if you are someone that is experience, experiencing extreme loneliness, and you're talking about joy, how does someone try to find that? You had mentioned gratitude. What what else? Because I feel like there was a moment where I felt deep in the pandemic, like, what am I grateful for <laughs> at this moment? There's nothing I can be grateful for. It was so hard to get out of that. Mm-hmm. And I just want to, you know, send a message to those folks that are listening in ways where they can find that joy or find those connections with others when they're feeling at their lowest. Well, one thing um, that I like to do, uh, I would just offer this up. It's a, it's a self-audit that contains four questions. Uh, the first question is, will I die? And the answer is yes. Unless, you know, I'm the first person ever not to, not to die. Second question is, uh, when will I die? And that answer for me is, well, I don't know. I, I hope it's, I've still got some time ahead of me, but I, I don't know. The third question becomes in a little deeper, like at the moment of my death, what do I feel would be, have been the most important things about me? What were the most important things in my life? And then the fourth question is, are you working with those each and every day of your life. So at, at the end of my life, if I'm fortunate enough to be coherent enough to f- reflect on my life and say this is what were the most important things in my life, invariably they, they fall to loved ones and, and, and uh, it might fall to our, our career, our, our opportunities we had. It might, it, but then the question becomes, so what are you doing to attend to that today? For me, it inevitably takes me back to some joy. So why wait till my dying day? I mean, I can do it each and every day. Uh, so every day is a new start. I mean, that's, that's what I do. So I, did, I, I picked that up from somebody else, those four questions. Uh, and it was, uh, it was an, in an essay on, on living an authentic life. And like the, the test of authenticity was a- ask yourself those four questions. And if you're can not- Can you repeat them again real quick so yes. for our audience? Will I die? When will I die? At the moment of my death, what will be the most important things in my life? And am I attending to those things today? So do you think it's at the point from the third one, will I have accomplished those things or and am I tending to those things? Am I doing those things, I think was what you said. Yeah. And am I... The fourth question. The fourth question, which was... Yeah, the third question was, what w- what would be the most important? What would be the? Life? I'm sorry. What the would be the is, most? And and am I doing that? Do you think that's a place where someone who's wondering if they're in the in the depths of despair and they're wondering what's the use in living, that they can say to themselves, "Am I tending to? What am I most? You know, the third question, pr- proud of or have I done? Yeah, and." Am I tending to that? So if you haven't been tending to that, can we get you there so that there's – because I just am thinking for those, when you get to the point of despair 
it's hard to ask yourself anything. It's hard to take that step forward. But I recently heard a quote, and I, I can't remember it now. You can tell I struggle with quotes. That's my advanced age. Um, but it's really about we all have a place in history. We all have our moment. And it's not that it's a star moment or it's a moment that everybody else has. It's our moment of our legacy, what we were meant to be here for. And I really believe that. Have I accomplished that? And if I haven't, I don't want to check out yet. I, you know, I want to, I want to ask those four things. I know I'm going to die, but it doesn't have to be now. Um, I need to accomplish the things that I came here to accomplish and tend that garden is what I think about. Is there any sense in what I just said? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, it's, I'm still thinking about it in my head, and I was starting to tear up when you were, were saying all that because you're right. This is the meaning of life. This is what we're here for, and it's so important to look at and answer those four questions because it, it's, it's how we move forward where we are mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, there was a... I don't know if you've ever heard of Hugh Prather. He was a poet. Uh, I, I don't think he's alive right now, but uh, he used to write a lot of poetry and what he called messy mortals. Messy all, mortals? Yeah, we're all messy mortals. I mean, we know what, you know, we're going through those four questions. It just makes sense, but we're messy mortals. We get involved in stuff every each and every day that are just, that take us off that course, right? So it's just a natural thing to do, which why I think it's it's really helpful to use this kind of a self-audit mm-hmm. to like, uh, I mean, I would do, I've done it so many times that I don't even ask myself the questions. I mean, I, I just say to myself, well, I die, and I know the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I can do it in a couple seconds. But it's, it's a way of getting me back to that place of, like, uh, what's important in my, in my attending to that. Mm-hmm. Um, tell you just we'll a, put those in our show notes, too, mm-hmm. those four questions. Oh, great, great. Uh, i tell you a quick story. Back in 05, uh, so I took a trip to, to East Africa, Uganda, Rwanda, post-genocide Rwanda with a group called the uh, Foundation for Global Leadership. And um, it, it was a, a scary trip. And so, um, but I, I was like putting on a, you know, a bold face with my wife and my two sons saying, hey, you know, don't worry, don't worry about, you know, about me. Don't worry about dad. It's, it's okay. It's, it's uh, totally safe. Uh, but I didn't, know, I didn't feel that in my gut. I thought, well, there's, there's risk involved because there was a lot of unrest over there where we were going to be. And so I decided before I left that I would write a letter to my wife and each of my two sons. So I wrote three letters about how much they meant uh, to me. And then I gave it to a, I I didn't give them the letter. I gave the letter to a friend. I said, if something happens, can you give them, you know, these letters so that they know that, hey, I I did what I wanted to do. I mean, you know, don't feel bad for me, you know, to whatever I could to -hmm. help them with their grief. of course, I did come back. I mean, nothing, uh, we, we had some moments, but uh, I did come back. And then I decided, you know what, I should just give them the letters anyway. I mean, you know, wh- why wait till I, something happened to me? To, to tell them, them these wonderful things? Yeah, to, to <laughs> tell them how much they meant to me. And to do it for myself in the letter, it was like uninterrupted, you know, so I could really put, I could really articulate in a deep way for myself, you know, how much they meant to me without you know, being interrupted by their reactions to what I was saying or something. So, I mean, just things like that, I think people can, you know, we talk about noting 
you know, there's journaling, but you, we can just note how we feel about certain things sometimes. And uh, um, there's a group called, um, uh, oh, I'm going to forget their, their name. I think it's called Listening Within or something like that. But uh, they, they talk about uh, this a- acronym SBNRR. SBNRR, which stands for when you're in a moment of, of anxiety. Uh, S is stop, B is breathe, N is note what's going on, the first R is reflect on your options, and then the, uh, the, the fifth R is react at that point. So if I'm triggered by someone who I think, oh boy, there they go again, they get me so angry or something like that, you know, they're just going to get me upset and I'm going to take that home tonight, I'm going to have a bad night, I'm going to, uh, if I just go through that, okay, stop. Take a, take a couple of breaths. Note, yep, that this person always does that to me. Uh, then uh, reflect on my options. Well, I can talk back, I can be angry, or I can, uh, you know, there's different things I can say, or I can just let it go. And then the, 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 you know, the fifth, uh, the last letter, the second R is to, to, to really react at that point. So I've done that enough that uh, I just can think really quickly, SBNR. Yeah. And, and I go through the whole process in, in just, uh, again, a few seconds. And so uh, in some of the workshops I do, we, t- we, we teach about these different tools. And, but the, the, uh, the thing is you've got you to practice them. You've got to program yourself to do it a bit. Yeah. You, know, you can do the will I die, the four questions, or the stop, breathe, note, uh, et cetera. Uh, you know, give, it, give it a few weeks, give it a month or something, and see if that, if that helps you. And if it doesn't, that's fine. Maybe there's other things that we can come up with. But uh, there are, I think, things we can, we can do, these self-audits, mm-hmm. uh, that can really help us get through these moments. And the more times we get through these stressful moments, the more times we inch ourselves forward towards a less stressful life. So you've, you've really moved us to, toward the last question by a- answering that, um, which our question was, how can we look out for ourselves? So you talked about the self-audit, and you've given, given us some tools there. Um, so I want to I skip over that piece because you've given us some tools for ourselves. I want to ask if you can, how can we look out for uh, one another? Like, are there some things that we can do? when we recognize that somebody might be feeling lonely, less connected, isolated, something like that, to give them some help as well? Yeah, I think so. I think um, to give you one example, your earlier question about can we be lonely when we're with others, maybe it's even our own family or coworkers or or some group we belong to, um, that, yeah, we 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 can reach out to people. We can ask them, uh, how are you doing? And something I, I, I did in an earlier event here, we w- went more in depth on what's it like to be me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can say, uh, I can say, Julie, how, I can say, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. And when people say, ask me how I'm doing, I usually say, I'm okay. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the script. I'm okay. You don't, you don't want to hear it. You know, I don't, I'm okay. But if you say to, to me, uh, you know, hey, Wayne, how, how are you doing? You know, what's it like to be you? What's it like to be Wayne? Now, I can choose to not answer, or I can choose that, like to, well, you've already sort of let me know you really want to know. 
you know, what it's like to be me. So I can tell you, I, I, I might engage you in a few things. But, but I think certainly with uh, our coworkers, our family members, our friends, other, you know, we can, it's not, you know, we can say, you know, how, how are you doing? You know, mm -hmm. you, you seem a little down or you seem quiet today. Are you okay? You know, I, I think we can, we can uh, again, I would say inch forward. We don't want to go up to strangers on the street and say, hey, what's it like to be you? <laughs> you know, we invite a whole different kind of thing maybe. But uh, certainly uh, we, can, we can do something like that to, to let the people know we care mm -hmm. uh, and that they're cared for. Uh, and and you, you can invite them into that conversation. I actually am going to tell a personal thing that happened on Monday because you really lead into that, and I do want to share it with others. So Monday, I had a lot of balls in the air with the projects that I was working on, and I was feeling a little anxious, more than anxious, and like really a little overwhelmed and anxious. And I actually thought I might have a panic attack, which I've never had one but I was feeling my chest start to hurt a little bit and my breathing. And when I got, I was, I was out at lunch and when I got back to the office, somebody from the staff that was walking by my, um, my doorway, one of our coworkers, we all love each other, she happened to look in at me and I'm at my computer and she goes, you doing okay? And I wanted to, you know, I'm trying to work this whole thing of being honest about, you know, how I'm feeling and all of that. And I'm not, I'm not invincible and I don't have to have my armor on. I gave her the smallest little no head shake that was even possible because I didn't want to say, no, I'm not really doing okay. So I didn't say anything. I just looked at her and I did a little tiny head move no. And she goes, you're not. And I did a little tiny head move no more. And she goes, want to talk? And I didn't want to be vulnerable, but I did a little tiny head yes. And she came into my office. She said, can I shut the door? And she sat down and we just talked. And I felt stronger afterward. And I felt stronger the next morning when I woke up. Anna emailed me with some answers to things that I was one of the balls in my air, air that I was shuffling. And she had, she actually sent two things. It wasn't an email. It was through Teams chat when you sent those two things that were kind of on my mind and they were part of the balls in my air or in the air around me. And I got stronger just with these two people, you know, responding to something, you know, and I didn't feel like, oh, I'm responsible for everything because I'm really not, but I take it all on. So I appreciate that we're telling people you, you can check in with others and you can check in again and it's okay. But the second piece to that is what you just said. You have to allow yourself to be vulnerable. You have to open up to others because when they ask you that question, it's so easy for us to say, no, 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 I'm okay. Or I'm doing fine. Just your script, as you were saying, Wayne, my script is, I'm fine. But allowing yourself to open up to people and having it just, it's okay. Yeah. These people are in your life, the, your coworkers, your colleagues, your family members, your friends, they are here and they want you to be vulnerable. Have you ever had an experience where a friend was going through something and they didn't tell you until it was all over and it was the very end and your response is, you could, you could have told me, you should have told me so I could have helped you out through it. Mm -hmm. 
instead of waiting till the very end. So I think the second part of that is allowing yourself to open up to those folks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, what we've seen even in the public eye, we've, see, we've seen uh, suicides where nobody had a clue. The person was that deep. Uh, I've had friends that where their spouse came home and said, I'm done, I want a divorce. They had no idea that that had gone that far with that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, a lot of it, we do a good job of hiding things. Yeah. You know, it's like a, it's like a protection against vulnerability. But like you were saying, Julia, it's like, uh, you know, allowing yourself to be vulnerable in the comfort of and protection of someone that's safe yes. to be yeah. vulnerable with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can you, you actually end up you know feeling stronger mm-hmm. because it uh, there was a quote that it uh, um, Carlos Castaneda am I dating myself by citing him anyways <laughs> tell us who he is uh, he wrote a series of books on his uh, travels as a cultural anthropologist in Mexico following this uh, Mexican sorcerer Don Juan there's a big controversy over whether it was real or just he was making it up but either way the teachings were pretty strong, uh, was saying that, uh, you know, you can, uh, you can bring joy to your day or you can bring sadness to your day. It takes equal amounts of work. Mm. Uh, that, uh, you know, putting on the, the sorrowful face day in and day out takes a lot of work, too. It's a lot of work to keep, keep that stuff up. And it's a lot of work to, to you know, try to keep our, ourselves uh, hidden from others. Yeah, it's, it's natural. Uh, I, it's it, and it's, I don't think it's doesn't have to get to a pathological lo- you know level for folks, but uh, certainly. Uh, and if you reach out and say, "Hey, I, do you want to talk? Are you doing okay? You know, c- can I close the door?" Uh, if you said not not right now, you know, not a good time, or mm-hmm. I don't want to, I'm sure that you know the person would be fine with that too. I mean, but the fact that you offer uh, can go a long way. So I do want to just like highlight that the two takeaways that y'all are saying, and one is that receive it, let yourself be vulnerable to say yes, and give them the gift of they they're willing to give you the gift of their time, give them the gift of honoring that, you know, they they are saying I'm trustworthy. And then my other part, you mentioned the word safe. And so if you are somebody who recognizes that someone else may be in despair or in isolation or in need of any kind to be a safe place for them, uh, to be that person. And if you don't think of yourself as that person, it's a choice too. You can be that person. You can ask somebody if they need help. You can check back in with them and you cannot talk about it with other people. You can literally be there for that person. So um, this is for everybody out there. Mm-hmm. So, there was a, uh, a, another <laughs> author, Victor Frankl. Uh, I'm feeling not very well read right okay. now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just feeling aged. <laughs> I don't remember all these authors, but the uh, uh, he was saying, and, and, and he was a psychiatrist and dealing with uh, suicidal patients. He said there were there was two ways to go. One would be just to, to follow the path of well, well, why do you want to commit suicide, and the other path is why haven't you committed suicide? Which almost always elicits positive answers. Uh, this is why. Because I've got kids, because whatever the reason is, I don't want to hurt my family or this and that. And so that was his, his way of thinking was that, you know, you, got, you, need, you need both sort of pathways uh, 
uh, in your toolkit there. But yeah, it's, it's to get people back to those positive things. It, are there even just one thing you're grateful for? And can we can we build on that instead of going with the deficit model? Yes. Of what's not working for you? Awesome. That's powerful. Yes. Well, Wayne, do you have any last words for our audience listening today as we wrap up? Um, I think, you know, I mentioned the self-audits. Mm-hmm. Uh, another qu- quick self-audit that sometimes I invite people to do before I begin a workshop is to give them a few minutes to imagine whose shoulders are you standing on to be here today? Who in your life has helped you be at this moment in your life? And, and to not overthink it, because there might be several. And don't start battling out, well, my, if I say this person, really, maybe, maybe it's that. Just top of mind, whose shoulders are you standing on that helped you be here today? Uh, and then have them write, them write it down or just think about it. And then I invite them to invite that person to the session. So it's not just you here, but it's the people who have helped bring you here. And so, and that's another way of looking at loneliness, I think, is that, yeah, there are people in my life that have really helped me. And it's easy to forget about that because I'm so caught up in the traffic jam I'm in or I'm late for a meeting or I didn't get my assignment done or whatever. Uh, But, you know, just bring those people in with you. So good. So good. Love that very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming today. Yes. We really a, appreciate the conversation. It's a privilege to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to address our listeners before we close. I just want to ask you if you, um, if you recognize yourself or a loved one in the conversation that we just had, and you would like to speak with a counselor immediately or schedule a counseling session, please call our office at 713 500 33 And our confidential team will direct you to the faculty or staff representative who can help you. And if you can't remember that phone number, it will be in our show notes. Just remember the word wellness and you can... uh, You can just send a message to me asking me or Anna for a resource, and it's wellness at uthealth or uth.tmc.edu. But we would really rather you call because they're 24-7-365. They're available. And uh, it's available for you. We have counselors that are available for you, your spouse if you have one, and your dependents. You get five free sessions, each of you, everybody, for each issue that you have. And it's not just with our staff here. If there's a place that, you know, we have a network of providers. So if there is a place that you, you would like that would be more convenient, let's say you live in Bel Air or you live up in Conroe or wherever you are throughout the state, We have a network of providers, and even in some of the other states, so please don't hesitate to call us at 713-500-3327. And for all other resources, please send me and Anna an email at wellness at uth.tmc.edu, and we will help you connect the dots to the best resource for you. Thank you for listening.